Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Bomberito Automotive Group 500 is just about ready to take the green flag as they come in a beautiful formation off of turn number four. Looks good. Fans on their feet. They're already waving their hats in salute as the race gets underway. And Joseph Newgarden will go to the point. They'll lead him into turn number one as the drivers streak through some of the speedy dry laid down on the inside of the corner. It's Newgarden with a giant lead. Call it four car lengths off of turn number two. Herder runs second as we've got a caution. And Takuma Sato's car, he has a problem. He washes way up the racetrack, four or five cars scoot around. That's going to set up some battles, Mark. It looks like Malukas is going to pop to the outside to try to get Colton Herta for second. And they stay side by side, and Malukas is going to make the high line work for him, and Colton is going to have to lift a little bit. His car not nearly as comfortable to the high side that through three and four as the car of David Malukas, and now it looks like Herta's in trouble again into turn number one, Nick. Yeah, it looks like he's going to lose a spot to Pato Award, and Felix Rosenquist Swipe the credit card underneath Colton Herta. It's an arrow McLaren attack on Colton Herta. Rossi's going to set him up. He'll go to the inside mark into turn three. We got a car into the wall off of turn yeah, number two. Newgarden, actually, Joseph Newgarden in the wall, coming off the of two cars, splitting around him all over. He continues on. Yellow does not come out as Newgarden's going to come down pit lane. Scott Dixon out of turn number two, about to pull off another incredible win. Bring him home, Mark James, half a lap away here at Gateway. Questions again. Will it be a bound throughout the paddock? How on earth did they pull? Pull it off. It doesn't matter. They did it. He comes off of turn number four, sees the advanced auto parts checkered flag fly. And for the 55th time in his incredible career, 383 starts. Scott Dixon will go to victory lane. He wow. wins the Bomberito Automotive Group 500. Chip sears the ship. But just so uh, so proud of the team, so happy for, for everybody. You know, we took a, uh, a pretty good uh, grid penalty today with, with, uh, with one of those uh, changes. But... Um, we had to go the alternate route and uh, worked out perfectly. Definitely with the tyres, it was hard to kind of keep them keep them on. But this team were perfect, man. They gave me the number I needed to be uh, getting. So uh, massive thank you to, to everybody at PNC Bank Number Nine, Nine Crew. And how about that uh, that Honda mileage there, man? I had so much fun driving my Honda today. It was impressive. The points gap sits at 74 right now, back to below, headed to the final two races. You've got a shot. That's all you can ask for, right? Yeah, we won't lift until we uh, we we're you know totally out of it. But um, you know, I know everybody on this. Team does a tremendous job to be one two in the championship right now and for all of us to have such a great year you know it's uh, it's a shame that our wins came kind of later in the season but uh, we'll keep pushing here and see what we can come up with well, they're back to back are you hitting your stride at the right time i hope so it'd be it'd be a lot of fun you know maybe I get a little tense uh, within the team here but no i think uh, you know we'll, we'll keep working hard as a team and see what we got in the next few races hello welcome thanks for joining us trackside 93.5 107.5 the fan in Indianapolis, highlights courtesy of NBC and IndyCar Radio from the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 Sunday afternoon from Worldwide Technology Raceway. And the easy summary that we found at our post-race was, ask eh, Scott Dixon. Dixon did Dixon things. 
Wins for the second time in a row, 55 overall, and we still have a championship heading to the final two coming up this weekend in Portland. Uh, that's the BitNile.com Grand Prix of Portland, Sunday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, little longer pre-race show, this time around 3.23 Eastern is the command, 3.30 is the green flag, so that's 12.30 local time. Uh, we'll get into all the schedule coming up in just a little bit, starting with a very late hour time, Friday afternoon practice, really at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Indy Next on Sunday, and so much more to talk about. I'm Kevin Lee. Eddie Garrison is back this week in our studios in downtown Indianapolis. Kurt Cavan will join us coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, we'll wait until Kurt joins us and we'll, we'll kind of go over the race, how Dixon won, the other scenarios, Newgarden coming up short on many, many super impressive possibilities for sweeping an entire oval season that was on the line and went away when he hit the wall. Uh, winning a fourth straight at the same track. No one had done that since Al Jr., late 80s, early 90s at Long Beach, staying alive in the championship and so much more. And now there were two, and we'll get into the scenarios because I think there is a scenario. It's, it's still a long shot, but I've been saying for a month, more than that, really, that, that it's over, that Pelot's going to win the championship. And he, he's still going to win the championship, but I think you can, with a straight face, talk about a scenario, especially with another track that has um, uncertainties. Getting through that chicane, that that is a little bit random. And if I'm Alex Pillow, I I am I'm not worried, but I'm not comfortable. And it's not just going to be lip service when he says, like he told me before the weekend, "Hey, we ain't celebrating." until this is over. And that's right, because uh, the, the simple scenario is it does not take him finishing last in both weekends. It um, is going to take great performances by Dixon, but he could basically, I think, be mediocre in one race, and then it's going to take a last in one of those races. Uh, mediocre in both is going to be good enough to get it done for Alex Pelos. So we'll get into that. Back to this weekend. We'll talk about the race itself, but uh, one, pretty nice crowd. It, it did look like the crowd was a little bit up. I'm sure very comfortable temperatures helped. It was still cloudy all, all weekend. We uh, All day on Sunday, we thought there was next to no chance of rain coming in. We thought that the temperatures were going to dip, and that was very welcome because it was literally 102 on Friday and just massively hot, and you felt so bad for the people doing actual work, which does not include your television announcers um, who just had to walk around the paddock a little bit, but the people setting up cameras and cables. Luckily, I don't think it's as much work as it is on a street course or even a road course, but I have to believe it's still a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff that still has to be done, even for a permanent oval track. Uh, so that's difficult. And then you've you've got the teams where it is the same as it is on a road or a street course weekend, getting everything set up. You know, luckily they don't have to set up tents because there is a basically a big carport in the garage area at Gateway at Worldwide Technology Raceway. But they did all that on Friday. And then we watched it rain on Saturday. We thought there was a little chance of a pop-up at some point on Saturday that might impact things middle of the day. And 
literally while the Indy Next drivers were sitting in their cars about ready to go, it started sprinkling. And then uh, luckily, so we knew we were going to need to go on the air at 10 o'clock local and just say it's raining on Peacock. So I got up to the booth while it was still sprinkling and I'm going to say 45 seconds later, it just dumped raining sideways, hail and rained hard for a long time. So uh, what turned into what was going to be a nice leisurely day? We spent the entire day there, but luckily we saw cars on track, and it and it became a night session uh, for IndyCar with no practice until in the evening. Indy Next just did a practice and started on points, and they had a night race, good race. Christian Rasmussen won again. He's in charge of that championship. It's not over because they have three races to main, but uh, Christian Rasmussen, then Hunter McElroy. Uh, still has a chance, and then I'd say Jacob Abel and Nolan Siegel have an outside chance, but it's probably between the top two at this point with one race at Portland and two races at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. So we'll get back to uh, St. Louis in a moment, but let's talk about what's happened since the weekend. So every week we unfortunately have uh, news on who's going to be driving. So I guess we can now really start to look into 2024. Because we've got 2023 sorted, and I'm going to have bold predictions for you here in just a moment. Uh, Well, guesstimates on who's going to be where in 2024. But first, the news for 2023. Unfortunately, we are not going to see Simon Pagino again the rest of this season. That news came out, and that's kind of been my fear. You know, like I've said, I've made the um, correlation to football. When on Monday the coach tells you that a player is not available next weekend, that means he ain't playing the next week either. Because generally speaking, they don't want the other team to know unless pretty much everybody in the industry knows it. And they'll wait until Friday. Or just because they simply are hoping that someone starts to improve very quickly. So that's always been my kind of judge. When, when someone tells us on Monday or even Wednesday that somebody's out, yeah, I'm going to guess he ain't playing the next week either. So when we kept getting these notifications on Monday or Tuesday of who's driving the 60, that kind of told me he probably wasn't driving the next week either, that they weren't even waiting. Because they could literally wait and have him take the test if they thought he was close again on Friday morning. Um, so... Hoping for the best for Simon. Your guess is as good as mine. Kurt Busch just retired from what we thought wasn't that big of a hit last year and said he's just not going to be able to come back to full-time racing. I didn't see exactly how it was worded, but I did see the words retirement for Kurt Busch this past weekend. So I'm hoping for so much better for Simon Pagino, but we just don't know. And that means he goes into an offseason of free agency where the results, frankly, were not good at all for a driver of his caliber. Uh, and the expectations were put upon him. They weren't good for either driver for Meyer Shank Racing, which is why they've already made one change full-time for next year, and they're getting a jump start on that for this time. So they, they had options. They could have, if they thought there was somebody out there they were considering for the Pagano seat next year, they could have continued to evaluate there. But whoever they want, uh, if it's not Simon Pagano. I'm going to say there's probably a good chance they're driving for someone else now, like a Felix Rosenquist. So let's get Tom Blumquist. Keep track of your Blumquist, your your quiz at this point, because there are three in play for next year. 
Um, but they need to get Tom Blumquist some more experience. There are no sports car conflicts. So he'll do the final two seasons, two, two races to get a jump start on next season. By the way, he would still be eligible for Rookie of the Year. That would be three races. The other quist, Linus Lundquist, as of now, is still eligible for next year's Rookie of the Year because he's done three races and, by the way, did a really nice job again in the number 60 this weekend, all things considered. Four, I believe, is the number in a single season, and maybe it's five over multiple seasons, but I believe you can do up to four, so Lundquist could still do one more race. But Tom Blumquist is in for the final two in the 60, and we wondered about the number 30 for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing. We kind of debated on the air, and I threw out the names because I knew they had tested the car. In fact, Yuri Vips had tested twice, so I thought that made sense. And Toby Sowery had told me a while back that there were some positive conversations going on, and he tested the car. So those names uh, I had thrown out there. I think Marshall Pruitt wrote about them in Racer.com as well. It is indeed Yuri Vips. Uh, is going to do the final two races. Now, the debate that we had is, okay, they're right on the brink of leader circle. Right there. A couple of points separates it, and it's worth a million dollars. So for the Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan team, they're looking at what's that worth and who gives you the best chance. I think the three of us thought it's it's still probably Connor Daly, someone who's been in a car this season and has been in your car. Um... Recently, But what other consideration is involved? Does Yuri Vips bring budget right now that helps? Or does he bring budget for next year that helps? I don't know. Because Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan doesn't generally require budget uh, because they have a lot of partners. So I'm guessing it's just, hey, we see upside here. We see what happened with Christian Lungard with our team. We see how good Marcus Armstrong has been, and Yuri Vips has won, I think, three F2 races and was very well regarded by Red Bull. And then there's the other side of the story, which we need to kind of tell because someone would say, why didn't you bring this up? So Yuri Vips was essentially canceled last year because he essentially had a Kyle Larson similar situation saying a word that you should not ever say on a Twitch stream during uh, some sort of an e-racing or i-racing event. So I've read some stories today, and I haven't really dug into this too much, and I didn't really know what the word it was, but it sounds like it's similar to what Kyle Larson said. I don't know the context, but the quotes I saw from Yuri Vips today were, I didn't really know what that meant. I thought it was a typical swear word. And... You know, some would say, oh, come on, but he's from Estonia. I don't know what his background is, and I know he's been living in Europe, and I think generally speaking in the Formula One world, everyone understands what that world means, but then I think back to, I believe, Derek Daly's story. If you heard that from 30 years ago, 40 years ago now at this point, more than that, uh, where he used a version of the word, which had an entirely different meaning in Ireland, and I've seen that verified. And Derek was horrified when he heard about it, and and presumably never said it again, and that makes a lot of sense. So maybe it's a similar circumstance here. Uh, Different people have different opinions. A lot of us think you do deserve a second chance when you make a mistake when you're a kid, and we can judge him for what he does moving forward. Others will judge him how they want to judge him, but Yuri Vips 
uh, gets, I think, a chance to see what he can do. And I think he's pretty good from what I hear. So we'll find out for him in the car. Now, to next year. So let's just kind of look at the different options that are out there. And let's look at the most attractive seats that are still available, and that's how I'm going to approach this. The 10 Ganassi seat is the championship seat, and that is not confirmed at this point. And even, and maybe this is why they haven't bothered sending out a release, because we've seen releases before concerning Alex Pillow, and they don't necessarily matter, so maybe we need to wait until we get to St. Pete next year to see who's driving that car. Uh, I kid, but th- there's some truth to that. I think you need to wait until the season is sorted and make sure that nothing else is out there and available, but I expect it's Alex Pillow. So there's my pick. Alex Pillow is driving the number 10. Next best seat is the one that Marcus Erickson has left, I think. That could be debatable. You could say it's the six, but we'll stay with that team and say it's the number eight. And I'm going to guess, and it's more than a guess because someone has reported this as well or said it's likely to be. So I believe what Marshall Pruitt has reported because I've heard the same thing in other circles, but Marshall heard it first. Linus Lundquist makes a lot of sense to me. And here's a possibility. What if Marcus Erickson's uh, Swedish billionaire, Finn, has decided, hey, mission accomplished, my guy is getting paid and paid well now to move to Andretti, I will support another Swede. Maybe Chip Ganassi is still going to collect some Husky chocolate money or whatever Finn wants to put on the car. So maybe that's still staying in-house, but Linus Lundqvist seems very, very likely. And you know why also? Because uh, somebody else would have probably had him in a car this weekend. Ray Hall would have had him in that 30 car, or Shank would have had him in the 60, because he had tested with Ray Hall, and a lot of people thought he was already locked up there at one point. Uh, So that makes sense. The number six car. I threw this out last week. I think it's very possibly going to be David Malukas. That's my pick at this point. And that could get interesting, too, because I had heard a couple of different times this summer that he was headed to Ed Carpenter Racing. I do not know if he signed with Ed Carpenter Racing, but when we start hearing those things, there probably was some level of an agreement, and then there could be a differing opinion of how binding that is. But I just throw that out there just in case. What if he did sign and we get another team owner suing a driver? Uh, Ed may have a different feeling on this. He is a driver himself. He might be of the opinion, yeah, that's a really good seat that uh, doesn't require any budget. It is a hired seat. I won't stand in your way. Or he might say, your word should be your bond. And we had a deal. So what I don't know is how deep that deal was. I, I don't know. I don't know in that face. I just know that I heard it from a lot of categories. He was headed to Ed Carpenter, but a deal is never done until it's done. And once Palo bolted, hey, everybody is going to want to be in that seat. And my guess was it was going to be Malukas. Or they try to work something out with Hunko's Hollinger for Callum Eilat. Seems simpler, probably, for Malukas. That's my best guess. Next best seat, probably 11. Back to Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, I think it's probably going to be Marcus Armstrong. I don't know why they wouldn't. Well, I guess why they wouldn't would be, I don't know Marcus Armstrong's budget situation. That seat is clearly going to require someone bringing budget to it. 
and and more likely than what was brought this year because it was split up between the budget that Sato brought to what Armstrong brought. So it could be a scenario where he's in for Roden Street again because they don't have enough and Sato comes back uh, in the ovals or maybe just in the 500. But I know Marcus Armstrong wants to do the ovals, so that's the goal. That's my best guess there. Next best seat, I think. This is debatable too. Uh, but, But Andretti Autosport. And the seat that Devlin DeFrancesco is in, the number 29. Asterisk here, because I think it's possible that Andretti could say, hey, let's look at what Team Penske did. Maybe three is better than four. And if we don't find the situation we like, talent-wise, skill-wise, or budget-wise, meaning, and, and it's been said, they don't want to require on needing to find a driver with budget. They just want to go out and hire. Well, that gets expensive. In theory, that's great. Um, best case scenario is if you find a talented driver that brings some budget but if you don't find that scenario and if you finish outside of the leader circle and lose that million dollar guarantee that just tacks on another approximately a million maybe slightly less to what is required say about seven million dollars to run that car so I'd put that on the TBD list at this point if it does run I'm kind of guessing here if Malukas isn't available, then is Callum Eilat the next best available? Felix Rosenquist could be the next best available, or they're certainly paying attention to what's going on in Formula One world and the categories I would put in next, uh, you know, finding your next Christian Lungard. So look for somebody in the F2 world in, in that kind of regard, whether that's Drugovich, who I think is in free practice one this week, and Schwartzman, or maybe it's Schwartzman that's running this week. I don't know. But those are two very talented drivers that I put in play, and I put in play for the number 11 car as a scenario there in that circumstance. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. The number 15 is not confirmed, and I've talked about that before. So I talked to Graham about that for a little while uh, this past weekend on Friday, and he said it's still not confirmed. It's not signed, but it's not because I'm still thinking about whether I want to continue full-time. He said, I I plan to return. I want to return next year. I'm enjoying showing people that I still have some ability here. It's just that I haven't had a chance to to really talk to them. I talked to my dad, and he said, you need to talk to Mike Lanigan, which is what Graham has always said, that, that when it comes to business like that, he deals with Mike Lanigan, and they haven't had time. So I'm going to go ahead and cross that one off the TBDs, even though it's not 100% there because you have to get it done, but Graham Ray Hall will be in the 15. The 30 obviously is not set. Um, don't know whether it's done for Yuri Vips, but certainly they're going to evaluate him. If it's not Yuri Vips, which could depend on how he does, uh, and, and again, if there's budget desired, then it might be, does the team Uh, Does his team, Yuri Vips backers, do they want to pay what is required? But that's probably just a hired seat. So if not Yuri Vips, I'm going to say Felix Rosenquist would be the best option there. And and then Felix may have an option, a choice. The number 60, I think, would be either Felix Rosenquist or a returning Simon Paginot. Or maybe that's where Callum Eilat would be a possibility. Callum Eilat is confusing. He won't really confirm what the scenario is. I think the best um, intel there would be there are some clauses, there are potentially some some triggers that could make him a free agent, or maybe it's just simply 
you'd need to buy him out of the contract, and maybe that could be an option in that circumstance. But uh, I've wondered that, and I believe in Marshall Pruitt's Racer.com silly season this week, you know, he did he mention he he mentioned some drivers that are under contract that are not definite, like Arenas VK. Uh, I think he wrote that uh, the Benjamin Peterson camp might be kind of looking around a little bit, even though it's a multi-year agreement. We'll get to that in a moment. So I don't have a firm sense there, but those are my guesses. Rosenquist, Pagano, Eilat. Ed Carpenter racing number 20. Could be Ryan Hunter Uh Last I talked to him, he said, I want to see how it goes, and then I'll make a decision whether I want to come back, and certainly the team would have some say on that. But he's not bringing budget. Do they have someone that could bring some budget? One that could is Christian Rasmussen. Looks like he's going to win the Indy Next Championship. That's where I'd kind of look for Rasmussen as a possibility there. Um, so keep an eye on that. The 21. You know, some people have said that Renus might be interested. I don't know if that's true or not. I've not asked Renus, also because I know Renus is not really going to say at this point. My guess is Renus stays there. Uh, I don't know, considering the way it's gone, may not be his fault. Uh, it's always more involved. But I don't know that there's enough momentum for everybody to jump on board and, and him to have a landing spot. You know, maybe Meyer Shank would be interested. Maybe Dale Coyne would be interested. Maybe Foyt. Maybe Ray Hall. Who knows? My guess is that, that he stays there. And some people have kicked around that maybe there could be a third car. That certainly would be budget dependent. What's Bit Nile's situation? What do they want to do? Uh, so who knows? Don't have a firm sense there. Dale Coyne Racing. I think that's a very possible landing spot for Devil and Francesco and his uh, budget that comes along with him. I think he's made progress this year. I think that could make some sense. Dale Coyne Racing has been great with, good, uh, with young drivers. I think that he could do well there. If not, I wonder if that's the... I haven't mentioned Romain Grosjean yet. That might be the place that would have some interest in Grosjean. I'd be surprised about Meyer Schenk. He's already sort of in the Andretti family. They're going to know what's going on there, uh, how well he works with others. Maybe he works great. If he doesn't, then I wouldn't consider that being super likely. But I guess you could put that into consideration there. Maybe, well, no, I, would, I was going to say maybe Ray Hall, but then I remember the spat with Graham last year. I'm going to go ahead and cross that one off. I know Graham wouldn't, uh, that would not preclude anything happening if it made the best sense, but it just my guess is no. Could Jack Harvey find a landing spot with Dale Coyne racing? I could see Dale Coyne being the one that says, because, you know, unfortunately, Jack, with the results over the last two years, uh, unless he finds budget, is probably going to be hard to sell for somebody paying for it. You're going to need somebody that's looking deeply and says, no, this guy is good, which I think he is, and I think others would agree, but it's going to take racing people. And Dale is a racing person that funds some of this himself, some of his own companies. Uh, Rick Ware is some financing. Maybe that's a landing spot for Jack Harvey. Maybe A.J. Foyt Racing could be some a scenario there. Uh, but those are the names there. And then there's a second car, too. Put them in there. But I think Stingray Rob has a chance. I think things are going pretty well commercially for them. And they might be interested in giving him a second season. Foyt, 
you know, this Penske relationship, maybe he opens up the door for others getting interested and in certainly what they did at the Indianapolis 500. So maybe two months ago, you'd have said they, they aren't going to have a lot of options. And I know when I last talked to Santino in May, he wanted to return, was hoping to get that done. I've not asked him about it for the last month or so. Last I've heard is that nothing is set there. But I'm still going to say Santino at this point because he finished third in the Indianapolis 500. And I have to believe they want to see that going again. I think that's sellable. Um, and then I assume Peterson in the second seat uh, as as well, because the last I asked his father, uh, he said, yep, this is a multi-year deal, and that's where we are going to be. Some other names I haven't mentioned that could come into play, Connor Daly, um, Hunter McElray, especially if he wins the Indian X Championship, but he's having a strong season. Daniel Frost hasn't had as good of a season this year. Nolan Siegel, I think, has budget and has been more impressive than expected as an 18-year-old rookie. My best guess is, though, that since he's likely not to win the championship, Nolan does another season in in Indy next. Uh, so that's what I got. Uh, we'll see uh, what sticks. And, and who knows, by the time the show is over tonight, maybe we have another announcement. But it wouldn't be shocked if we see something again uh, this week or this weekend, or certainly seems always to be a good time to do it before that we get to the uh, championship weekend. Hey, if you like to come out and see uh, racing people in public events and like to raise a little bit of money for charity, we've got an opportunity for you with the Battle on the Bricks Prelude benefiting the Survivors of uh, Violence Foundation. We've done this around Brickyard Weekend before. This time it is going to be for IMSA Weekend. Hosted at Prime 47 downtown, 6 to 9 p.m. on the Thursday of IMSA weekend. That is September 14th. It's brought to you in part by Amber Blends, Indy Custom Stone, Handled Now. We're going to get some drivers there. I'll be there. I'll get some of my NBC buddies um, and hopefully some IndyCar peeps as well. Clayton Anderson is going to be playing a lot of fun as well. I'll tweet out the link again where you can get tickets and benefit a great cause. All right, Kurt joins us coming up next. Stay with us. It's Trackside. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And Kurt joins us now as we continue to recap the weekend in St. Louis for the Bomberito Automotive Group 500. I've given uh, just a couple of my thoughts. I'll share some more here, and, and we'll get back to some more of the uh, the news of the day and the week and looking ahead to Portland coming up this weekend with two to go in the NTT IndyCar Series season. So, uh, like we said after the race... Who was it? Pato or Malukas? One of them uh, just said, "Yeah, Scott Dixon." And my response was, "Yeah, that's pretty much the post-race report." Scott Dixon. Yeah, Pato said in the uh, post-race press conference, he said, "How do you, you know? How do you make fuel?" He was somebody was asking him, "How do you make fuel and how do you do that?" He goes, "Well, it starts with an S, and it ends with an N." <laughs> and Malukas, bless his heart, he's like, "I don't, I don't get it." And Pato goes, "Scott Dixon." And he goes, were you on your phone? What were you doing? He said, no, I was just in a daze, but you're right. Everyone knows that, um, that Dixon is kind of the master of that. He's, he's not just the master on an oval track. And by the way, I had to look up the last time somebody won an oval race by more than 10 seconds. And you have to go all the way back to 2010. Elio Castroneves at Kentucky won by like 13 seconds and this was a 22-second victory. Now, he didn't drive away from the field in 22, uh, put 22 seconds on the field. But, you know, the pit strategy, doing the three stops and saving the fuel as he did, really put a hurt on the on the rest of the field. Only 
three cars on the lead lap. I mean, you just don't see this kind of, you know, at least statistical dominance. Again, he didn't run away from from the field, but, um, you know, everybody knows this is what Scott Dixon is capable of. He's just so smart, and he's just so – and the, here's the other thing. I looked up the other day because I was following Mike Hall, and Mike Hall said on social media – Last Wednesday, he said, it's a three-stopper. I mean, he just said it. Like, it's a three-stopper. You and I were discussing last week's show. Can you get, you know, can you do it in three stops? It feels like a four-stop, and maybe somebody even does a five-stop. You and I were kind of leaning four-stop, and and I know on the broadcast, you kind of lean that way as well. But but uh, Mike Hall said, it's a three-stopper, and, and they pulled it off. It is for his purposes because he's only concerned about one driver and that's the only one that did it on three. Everybody else did it on five. Yeah. Right. I have, I haven't, I've I've been scrambling since I got home. I haven't watched it back and I don't have the pit stop report in front of me. Uh, When did they all stop? So we had cautions None of the other leaders stopped during that first caution. So they were all out of sequence. Oh, that's how they ended up doing five is because they were 20 laps or so into their stint on the 122 Sato crash. And then they were all 10 laps short at least to get to the end. So they just pitted a little bit earlier since they know they couldn't make it anyway. And it ended up being a five stopper. So Dixon, though, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, but that that alternate set that he ran and he did it in his second stint, he ran 61 laps. And, you know, that's as close. Uh, shoot, there were some drivers that didn't run that many laps on a primary and he did it on the alternates. Then he came back with a 70 lapper on blacks and finished with a 65. So he just, uh, you know, it was just really impressive performance, fuel saving uh, red tires, uh, managing the gap, which I think he might be best at doing. Joseph's really good at that as well, managing the gap between somebody, you know, who's trying to catch him and just providing enough space so that, you know, the, the driver trailing can't get a run on him. He's just, you, you can understand if you didn't already know, you can understand how he's won 55 races. He's won them in all different kinds of ways, but this is just prototypical Scott Dixon. We're going to have to ask our friends at Firestone that uh, do the the pit stop charts to add this race to it. I know they don't do ovals because it's always the same tire, but it's not the same tire anymore. So I just looked it up and it's, it's not on there. So I don't have that information. So if you find that at any times, send it along to me. Um, oh, by the way, Russ Thompson, our statistician, was asked on social media about bigger margin of victory on an oval. And he says, according to what he can find, it was the IRL race in 1999 at Texas when Mark Dismore lapped the field. That's right. On a mile and a half track. So, you know, he said that's got to be more than 22 seconds um, for, for lap time there. But that's the best he can find the largest margin since this time. So that's a long while. And here's the other thing with this. Um, it ended up being a bit of a snoozer. Now, it, it there was still drama because we were pretty certain that Dixon was going to be able to make it, but you didn't know. But you say three on the lead lap, and yes, that's true. 
had Dixon not been Dixon, then you had 11 or 12 on the lead lap, which is actually really good for a short oval. When you look at, at the margin, it's at least down to Grosjean and maybe even another two or three that would have been on the lead lap if you just take Dixon out of play. Yeah. So and, that's what made it a beatdown. And, and on-track passes for position – was the most we've seen it at uh, the gateway track. We call it the gateway track. Uh, 217 on-track passes for position. Now, some of that is, you know, you got more cars than maybe you've had in, in past years. But it did tie the record for most passes in the top 10. So within the top 10, they were very competitive with one another. And a lot of interesting things was happening. I remember like a five or six lap sequence you know, long about, I don't know, 150, I'd have to think maybe 170 into the race. I mean, it, and we started to have a couple of those those near crashes, and it was it was very entertaining. It's just Dixon was kind of sailing off by himself. And it's funny, as I was watching the race, and then I watched it back a little bit uh, yesterday, and I was thinking, in the first half of the race, Dixon barely got a call. I mean, you almost never called his name. Uh, and if you're paying attention to the race, like the nine car, that wasn't one on your radar. Uh, so it's it's a very interesting, you know, very Dixon-like. He just he hit that 65-lap number that you have to make on the first stint. Now, it had like nine cautions. But he got to 65 with the first one. So you're thinking, well, maybe. And then he did really well in the alternates. And you're like, well, he still got a shot, and uh, at that point, the second half of the race is when he became the focal point. And that's why James and Townsend both thought it was going to end up being difficult to do it on three, and I agreed with them because the longest anyone anyone went on stint one was 65, and that was with nine laps of caution. So that's really like getting to 57, 58, something like that. Yes, I know you have the five pace laps, which adds into it as well. Um, so I guess you could argue it's like going to 70 with 14 laps of caution in that circumstance. So it's still 56 green flag laps. Eh, so maybe that gets you closer. It's normally about two to one. So maybe that's more like 63 or, or so. But we, we saw it was going to be challenging. But then there's Dixon. And then the debate was when was he? In, yeah, he was in front. When Sato hit the wall, right? Yeah. And I immediately said, this is good for Dixon. James agreed. And then as we went to break, and I think Townsend even said on the air, maybe not. And, and I saw what he was thinking of because at that point, Dixon was already committed. It, it wasn't necessarily going to take the yellow for him to be able to get home because he wasn't ready to pit. I don't know when he was going to need to pit, but he could go at least another seven or eight or nine laps. Uh and then he still would have been in good shape. So I think that's one of those where they were already pretty good. But I did see after uh, the race in the press conference, he said, yeah, that yellow did worry me because we wanted to go a little bit further. And there were others that were not a lap down at that point. So it wasn't like we we trapped anyone there. But in some ways, maybe it equaled out the same because it still was a few more laps before he could pit. And then and again, it just meant no one else could even try that. And the Chevys do not get the mileage. That's what we've learned. We It was confirmed if there was any doubt in the Grand Prix 
and it was confirmed in this one. You know, the McLarens and the Penske's cannot match it. What shocked me is that a Ganassi Honda couldn't do it. And I believe Herta was on the same strategy as well. So going into the next to the last stop, my recollection is Dixon had pitted on 126, which was a caution. Erickson, because the wheel literally fell off, came back in and topped off on 131. And I think Herta and five or six others did. So they had at least, again, those are caution laps, but that's two to three laps to the good on Dixon. And none of them came close. None of them even tried it. And that's one of those where I, I would have liked to have been on pit lane to go ask, and maybe they wouldn't tell us, but find out with the eight team. What happened there? And I haven't read all the post-race comments from Marcus. I saw a tweet from him, but I haven't gone into their post-race notes to see if it gets any more into that. But that's the one that surprised me, that not only did he beat the Chevys, but he beat some other Hondas that had two or three more laps of fuel than he did. Yeah, he um, he's really good. You know, go back to that that first sequence when he stopped on 65. You know, those first sequences, you never really know if they've pushed it as far as they can push it because they've not. They got to come in and see what the what the extra was left in the car and just kind of confirm their their own uh, numbers. But I I thought he might have had a couple more left in in that first sequence. But again, I think the the alternate set uh, stint and the one that followed were really the two that set him up because he said in the post-race press conference, that last, that last stint when he went 65 laps, when, you know, we're starting to think, can he make it? Can he make it? He made that with flying colors. He did that, you know, with, with room to spare and actually drove faster than, than they had projected. So just, uh, just an overall, Gutty performance, smart performance, great strategy from the team. We don't we don't give strategists enough enough credit, enough praise. I mean, because I think we're reluctant to to you know it's it's kind of I don't know if it's subjective, but we're we're sitting back looking at these guys, the Mike Halls, the Tim Sendricks, and others that are really good at this. And there's there are others, but. I don't think we give them enough credit because they're not the one driving the car. So you assume that they don't have as big a role as the driver themselves, but those guys make a difference and, and they really have this thing figured out. I think you can read Mike calls, you know, he gives a kind of a pre-race uh, pit strategy report on social media each week before a race. I think you could just about follow that and, and really learn a lot about what's to come at least from his driver. Uh, somewhat, except normally whatever he says, how long a stint is, you add two or three laps. Well, okay. I, 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 th I think he's saying, you know, the, the number he always, cause we do look at that. And then I've always talked to everyone about how far can you really go, but there's three different levels. It's on a road course. You can go 26 laps if you're not saving at all, but it just takes a little bit of save or being in traffic. And then it's another lap or two. And if you want to go Dixon, like, uh, then it's more. So the number he tweets is not the Dixon number. It's the average driver number. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, sure. add four for what <laughs> Dixon can do on a road course in, in that circumstance and add 10. Uh, but this is the one you're right. He did say it's a three stopper. Now, maybe he did that because he was going the other way because he probably knew yeah, there's only a few drivers that are going to be able to get this done on three. And the others that are one of the others that comes to mind that's great on fuel save is a, is a willpower. But 
not right now in a Chevy. So then you're looking at Hondas that have that that ability to do it. Uh, the other thing that came up was when Pato and Newgarden bailed, uh, when they came in with Dixon on that caution, and we were kind of baiting that, and I ultimately agreed with what was happening there. Um, or maybe it was later on. But mostly my thought was, all right, Dixon's already ahead. You don't want to try to fuel save and beat him. You're not going to out Dixon Dixon, so you need to do something different. And that's why they came in early. And then it's just, hey, let's hope that he can't make it. Or if you get a caution at the right time that kind of resets it and everybody's in a good circumstance and bunches things up. But the way it was going, it wasn't going to happen. And, you know, we heard some of the conversation from Cindric to Newgarden is that, you know, you can try to pass the five there. That might be for the race. What about the fuel savers? Well, we can't control that. You know, our only chance is that Dixon doesn't make it. He's in a different category. All we can do is control getting around the five. And then that's, you know, then it ultimately was lap traffic is what put Newgarden in. And that's another topic. Um, it's so challenging to pass lap cars. And the easiest way, well, there, there are different ways to potentially fix it. There's no easy fix. You could run a night race. I think that would help. And then what you're weighing is, do you want to be on network television or not? Because it's tough to do a night race on TV. I can't say it's impossible. Uh, maybe. Maybe you can talk NBC into doing either a Saturday or a Sunday night race. Because you're not head to head with the NFL yet. And if it was this weekend, I don't know what was on on Saturday night, but starting next weekend, every Saturday on NBC is filled with Big Ten football. So that would not be an option, but maybe it's an option until you get to the first weekend of September. More likely is you're going to be on USA. Now, this weekend wasn't an option because the cup race. Uh, well, I guess you could have raced on USA. I would not recommend running on USA head-to-head -head with Daytona on NBC. That's Agreed. Agreed. 200, 225,000 people watching on a Saturday night head-to-head -head with NASCAR. Bad idea. Watch the schedule come out and that be the case. Uh, but if it is, then we need to get a big crowd there because what that becomes is it becomes an in-person commercial event. You know, it's about making it look really good, but you are not going to get a good television rating head-to-head -head with Cup when they're on NBC and you're on cable. But those are the options. Now, I do think it's possible because I would suspect that as much as the Bomberito Automotive Group and the track would like the race to be on NBC every year, that is better for Bomberito, uh, they probably share a little bit. And since there are what? five or so that are not on NBC. I think NBC has kind of gone above and beyond of what they are required to do. But since there are at least five that are not, hopefully they kind of spread those around. Because if you're the one on cable every single year, that's a little bit of a disadvantage, unless that has worked into the contract. Maybe there's a different sanctioning fee 
uh, involved to guarantee network versus being on cable. But if that's not the case, then maybe they spread it around and maybe it's one of these things where it bounces back that we can't do a night race every year because we need to with a long term contract with Bomberito and other partners, we need to at least one out of every three years be on network television and have a better television rating. But we can make it work some. So maybe that's something that that could be an option for next year. The other scenario would be tires. And I don't know what the answer there is, because if you have the problem is marbles, because the second lane really isn't available. The high line practice, unfortunately, doesn't do you a lot of good when it's just covered in marbles. It does help on restarts. But if it's not a restart, it's very, very difficult. Um, so you could make a harder tire. But that's not as grippy, not as fast. We like to see bigger speeds, and there's not as much grip to go around the outside. I wonder what the feedback is going to be with doing the alternate. It wasn't a whole lot different, but I suspect, and they'll know, the general consensus is it chunked more, and it led to more marbles. That may not be true. That may just be a supposition in that regard. But if it did we might decide that's not worth it. And then I, I know you've got a thought, and then I'll come back with a third option that I don't think everyone is going to like. Well, I was just going to say that Scott Dixon was advocating for a greater discrepancy between the two compounds. He was yeah. just saying it just needed to be greater. That's all. And I don't, I think from the comments that I've read and and I've, I heard and so forth, I think generally everybody was, was kind of okay with, with the two sets. It made it interesting, but but uh, a greater discrepancy is what Dixon was advocating. And that probably leads to even more marbles, yeah. uh, most likely, because I know when they did a softer tire, because Firestone gets feedback and you know some would say, oh, the tire's too good. We need something softer. And then the response from some was, yeah, it marbled too much. It degraded too much and the track was too dirty. Here's something you could think about. I'm not saying I would advocate for this, but you could give it a think a competition caution at some point to sweep the track, fully sweep the track. You know it's coming. They're ready. They're not spending time cleaning up cars. And you are guaranteed one really entertaining restart. You do it mid-race. Everyone puts it a part of their strategy. I would do it at a point when you're not due for a pit stop. Uh, so if the stints are generally 60 laps, then it's not at lap 120. It's maybe beyond halfway. It's at 150 or something like that. So you cannot stretch two stints to make that done. It also commercially does you well because that's the, the hardest thing about motorsports on television is there are no TV timeouts. So this would guarantee you the ability to take a commercial, probably two, during a TV timeout. I think it's worth a think. I don't know. If I want to do it or not, and I know people are not going to be fans of that, but it would improve the racing. I think you're right. I, uh, you're right on a lot of fronts with uh, how people would react and how it would impact and how it would benefit. So we'll see if okay. they, they're ready to go there. We'll set you up for hour number two coming up in a moment on Trackside. Hi, this is Alexander Rossi, and you're listening to Trackside. Quick segment here, because we rambled too long in the first two segments. But uh, coming up right after the top of the hour, we continue talking about St. Louis from this past Sunday. More on the championship, the scenarios, looking ahead to Portland, and we will get to some of your Twitter questions. All coming up at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan on Trackside. 
Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. It's hour number two. Thanks for staying with us. Trackside, 93.5-1075. The Fan in Indianapolis. Eddie Garrison is downtown. Kurt Cavan, Kevin Lee getting set to head to the Pacific Northwest coming up Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock airtime, Eastern Time on NBC, here on the radio as well. And that is noon local time this weekend. We'll get into all the schedule and what to expect again coming up a little bit later on. And then one more to go after that uh, for the conclusion of the season. Luckily, that's not the end of racing. Uh, I really want to do whatever little we can with our little platform here. But I want the sports car race to do well uh, because I think they're fun. And I, I think people that most of us think the IndyCar season is too short. Well, here's the next best thing. It's road racing with cars that are very different to Indy cars, but it's about as close as we can get. Uh, And the prototypes are awesome looking cars. And then if you're a NASCAR fan, hey, the GTD car is pretty close to what the cup car is now. And I fear that's one of the issues NASCAR is dealing with at this point. They they actually raced better on road courses with the really clunky, hard to stop, improper road racing car. Their road races are not as good as they were with the old car compared to a proper road racing car. So that's their issue. But we'll we'll enjoy sports cars coming up with the battle at the Brickyard coming up. I think it's September 15th to the 17th. So it is the week after WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. So that gives us one more week to kind of enjoy this style of racing. And don't forget uh, USAC Midgets still to come later in September at the Brickyard on the on the uh, dirt track within turn three and it's a four night show this year so they have tried to make it more like a you know i I say a chili bowl or or you know knoxville or make it an extended event so it's wednesday thursday friday saturday so that'll be be really good and and then there is another sports car race at the speedway if if you live in the market uh and that is in October. I think it's the second weekend in October. That's in the eight-hour race that uh, has been there the last couple years. So, yeah, there's still a lot still to come at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, you know, the uh, sports car race will be, you know, very interesting for sure. So I think the um, BC39 is the last week of September. So that's something. Last like full week. Yeah, the 26th through the 29th, some, something in that range, I believe. Yeah, I think it's 27 to 30 is the actual. Oh, it even goes to the weekend. The feature's on, on Saturday night. So that's the advantage of not doing it on Brickyard weekend, which they have done some in the past. So that's good. And then, yeah, the Indy 8 hour is coming up the 6th, 7th, and 8th of October. There might be a driver we know pretty well participating in that event. So stay tuned. For news on that, there might be a driver on track tomorrow at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that we know in in a sports car uh, as well. So um, stay tuned for that, or maybe earlier today. Schedule <laughs> a little bit, a little bit TBD at this point. All right, what else do we need to get back to from this race over the weekend? Uh, David Malukas versus Scott McLaughlin. So the week started. With David doing, was this on the conference call, the media call that he did, or maybe it was a, a podcast interview? No, was no, it, the it conference was. Call? 
he was asked about it on the conference call. He started okay. with with a social media try to engage. Uh, Malukas tried to engage McLaughlin, never really got a response, and then kind of carried it over and was asked about it in the in the uh, in the media available availability midweek. So the quote uh, that IndyCar actually uh, stirred it up and posted the graphic of that. The bus bros kind of did a diss on me on their racing video. So if anything, I am more motivated to hold them off, block them and be very much of an annoyance. David Malukas. Yeah, I think David was, you know, lighthearted in that. Yes. He was he was trying to just engage and and have some fun and create a little stir. What well, we didn't bus know. Bus bros ain't for that. No, the the old bus bros, uh, when it comes to being on racetrack, are, are a little more a little more serious about things, and it, it did get a little interesting there down at the. Uh, I think that's the east end of the racetrack. Uh, that would be turns three and four. Well, I haven't even gotten to that at this point. Oh, okay, and it's uh, Scott McLaughlin responds, "Shaking in my boots, pal," was his <laughs> response on Twitter, and. David responds uh, something like, I was joking. Please tell Joseph I didn't mean it. If you need boots to shake in, I have some incredible splutch bop boots. Here's how they look. Super comfortable and anti-shake. And it's him wearing, you know, the rain boots that you wear to keep your race boots dry walking up. So he's just trying to make light of it, trying to have fun. And again, bus bros ain't into it. <laughs> New Garden ain't getting involved. We all know Joseph doesn't do many of his own tweets anyway, uh, but even whoever does his tweets wasn't going to respond to that. He occasionally will do some, like when uh, I, I'm pretty sure this was Joseph's tweet last year when Santino Ferrucci misspelled his name. <laughs> and then it was something like, at Team Penske, we we get spelling correct or something like that. Uh, the McLaughlin response was, I never realized how good you were at riding a bike backwards. So, yeah, not all good. And and remember last year they had uh, I don't think there was any ill will on that. And I remember McLaughlin saying really nice things. Hey, this kid's going to be really good. Good on him. He passed McLaughlin late on track. And that led to one of the great quotes from Lucas. I looked up and oh, my God, they're Penske's in front of me. Uh, so then in this race, they seem to be together pretty much all the time and then they eventually made contact malukas was on the low side and mclaughlin was on the high side somebody tweeted actually it's someone who tweets us often at 500 any 1911 brian uh frederick any beef from the lucas or all good mclaughlin's response beef it needs to be done in a sam elliott voice beef what's for dinner it's what's for dinner yeah <laughs> Yeah, McLaughlin was, at, or excuse me, Malukas was asked about it in the, in the post race press conference on Saturday, Sunday night, and uh, or Sunday, whenever we had this, we had qualifying like at midnight practically, and then uh, then the race Sunday. But uh, he was asked about it, and you know, he said that was there was a tap in there, and he said I don't know what I was supposed to do. I was on the curb, and and I uh, have to have a room to go. And I think uh, he said that McLaughlin came and talked to him on the podium. And didn't think what Scott was too happy with him, but he couldn't really tell. And so I think he knew. And um, anyway, didn't really elaborate a great deal beyond that. I think he knew that Scott was not happy with him. It was uh, more yeah, you don't of, you don't come to the podium to uh, to just say hello and congratulations. Yeah. So there you go. So we got that going for us moving forward. Um, 
I'm not able and capable of judging fair or foul in that circumstance. I haven't even seen the replay of it, but that's for somebody else to look into. But I will say this is Malukas and Dale Coin Racing, once again, impressive. Good last yeah, year. Very, very good. Good the year before with Grosjean. Probably good before that as well. I think they've been good going back a few years and a really needed result for the team and Malukas to kind of show where he's at here. What about fair or foul relative to Newgarden and Pato Award on a couple of occasions? Uh, the first one was a front straightaway situation when Newgarden was was ahead of was award. Newgarden was ahead of award, and they went to the inside and then drifted back to the outside. And you know there was some many calls that I saw. Uh, non-officials, I should say, wondering if that was a block on Newgarden's part. And then later, there was at least a little hip check on the backstretch. What what kind of uh, thoughts do you have about those two? Uh, well, in- I want to hear your opinion. Well, because you've, I've, you've watched, a, I've, I've seen it live and I have not seen it since. And I've I'll seen it twice. I think. I, think, I think you could have called a block on the front straightaway. I'm not sure it was 100% a block, but I thought I think it could have been called at minimum. I think he could have been warned. I think it was he he went to the bottom and then he came back across the top. I thought you could have called it uh, on the front straightaway. I don't know about the back straightaway. They both, uh, you know, it was difficult to get the right angle on the second one, but they did have contact the second time. So I guess I can think of the second one, and that was. Pretty much side-to-side contact. Correct. And I think it depends on who your favorite driver is or which team. I believe if you're a Pato Award fan, and certainly Pato Award, he's screaming for avoidable contact. The New Garden side would say, well, no, you're down there, and you need to move up to make the corner. That would be their argument. And then the Award side would come back with, no, you needed to already be up to move up to make the corner. If you're not already up and there's someone there, that's how a pass gets done. You need to hit the brakes and pack back out and give it up. But generally speaking, when you're on the inside, you are able to take the corner. We've seen yeah. that in so many kinds of racing. And generally speaking, it's not called. How many times have we seen somebody shoved off and it is the peril of trying to pass on the outside that you are your safety and your ability to get through the corner is pretty much dependent on whether that guy down below is willing to shove you off or not. And so, some you know are shoving you off. And apparently uh Pato's spotter said, Hey, that's that's how he rolls. That's how he rolls with Simon Pagino when he's a teammate. Uh so I'm pretty sure that's how he's gonna roll with you. Same racetrack and different end of the racetrack, but uh, that was the memorable race with uh, Newgarden and Pagano, 2017, as I recall. Um, but yep. the the issue, I think, the more the more that I would lean towards supporting Award was on the front straightaway. Award went to the bottom, went to the inside, and it appeared that Joseph went there second, you know, as a second move the second of the two, and then they both, as Pato went to the top, Joseph went to the top. Now, again, I'm not sure it was a block, but I th- I wouldn't have been surprised. And Pato called for a block. You could hear it on 
at uh, mm-hmm. uh, at the time, but um, you know that's the one. Oh that, no, I, mi- I missed that. Yeah, I the, heard the avoidable contact call from him. I and and I have to think about whether that was you're probably that right. Was, that was said by Pato or was it said by Townsend? Uh, so anyway, in that sequence. When you see it, you'll uh, you'll maybe have a better clear as you go back and watch short weeks. So you may not have a lot of time to watch this week. But uh, anyway, I thought that was interesting, and and Pato certainly was was a little bit, uh, yeah, he was a little bit uh, not not so happy with with New Garden. But um, it all comes out in the wash. Getting tired of finishing second to New Garden, which he yeah. did not in this case. But we we looked that up during the race that it's four times that he's finished second on an oval to Joseph New Garden. It's now four times that he's finished second in a race this year. Um, but he, all things considered, still pretty strong. Auto Award. I looked this up. He's had seventy races in the IndyCar series and he's finished on the podium 20 times. So that's nearly 30%. He's been on the podium and of those 20, 10 of them, he finished second, six of them, he finished third. He's only got the four wins, which, you know, great. He's got four wins and I I don't mean to discredit that, but I think he's tired of finishing second or third when he knows he's got a car that could win needs to convert I mean, I'm not saying this that from my standpoint, but I think he feels like they need to convert more of those great opportunities into race wins, and they haven't done it. Well, and it's one of those that if just Dixon isn't Dixon, he yeah, he does it. Has an, another win, and he you know finishes second at the GP instead of Dixon doing Dixon things. So they're they're close. You know, I know it's a winless season for McLaren, and that's a headline for a team that has a massive budget and has more employees than anyone else, including Penske and Ganassi and has Intel from Formula One, but it, it's still difficult to beat Penske and Ganassi and a lot of weekends Andretti and some weekends Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. And there's, you know, we normally have had another surprise in there at some point. We finally got one with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan winning a race and being really strong a couple of other weekends but that's the point that just because you spend the most doesn't mean that you're going to be able to win but it's not like they're that far away um and for rossi it's still i'm sure the season is just disappointing but it does really feel like they're coming and that year two might be it for them he finishes fourth in this one what was he fifth in the road course last week so he's coming along rosenquist was quick all weekend and and strong in that one and probably could have had a better result than than what he did. So that's kind of what it stands out on that front. You know, I talked about Hurdle a little bit that uh, I'm a little surprised that they couldn't come closer on the fuel mileage with a little more than what Dixon had and also in a Honda. Um, we haven't talked about Alex Pillow, who did what Alex Pillow does. Finished seventh. Yes, he's not up by 100-plus points, but still quite comfy at plus 74 after yet another top eight finish. All in the top eight, seventh yeah, on and there's, Sunday. There's a lot of ways to uh, to describe what he has to do over the last couple of races, but bottom line is if he, he hangs another top 10 finish on on uh, the field uh, this weekend at Portland, and, and then he's he's got enough points to to secure it. Uh, he has to come out 
54 points ahead without even showing up at Laguna Seca on September 10th. So, you know, he's got he's pretty well got this one in the bag. Uh, But, yeah, he you know, this is one of those races. You know, you talk. I guess this is what you're referring to. Dixon doing Dixon things, Pelot doing Pelot things because he was, you know, with the grid penalty starting what 14th, I think it was, and and mm-hmm. and he he never really was was like a threat to be any higher than like ninth, tenth, and yet he gets seventh, and you're thinking, where did that come from? You know, he he didn't really ever progress through the field. Picked up three spots in the last stint. At one point, I looked up, and he was, I believe, 10th after everybody had done pit stops. Maybe ninth, but ninth or 10th, so picked up more points. You know, it could have been 68, 69 points. And these are now 16 straight races over two seasons that he's uh, he's been top eight or better. And so he just continues to to deliver one of the most consistent seasons that we can remember, certainly going back to probably Tony Kanaan in 04 uh, with this point system rel- relatively intact. I mean, obviously, Bourdais had some great years in, in Champ Car in a different format, uh, but uh, go back to Kanaan really was, was this consistent. And so, you know, a championship, you know, all but in hand at this point and – and it's just a matter of uh, who finished second. And by the way, that's a really interesting battle. We got about five guys that could be in the top five or, you know, in those fourth, uh, second, third, fourth, and fifth positions. There's five or six drivers trying to compete for those four spots. And um, and Newgarden's trying to get back to second. He lost second place. He's trying to get back to second, uh, which would be uh, four straight years of finishing second in the championship. So there's still a lot to play for. Uh, even though it's not at the top with Pelot. So I haven't done all the number crunching yet, but I would think it's this way. He's got to finish last. He's got to score minimum points or real close to it. He's got to score five or six points, which is 24th or worse, 24th through 27th. Well, it'll be 27 cars in one of the two races and then be mid-pack. Uh, maybe even that eight. So let's give him eighth in one of the races. So that'd be 29 points scored. More, more than enough. More than enough. Well, not if Dixon were to win both, is it? So let's do that scenario. Let's give Dixon 106. Get out your calculator. Yeah. And let's look at that scenario. Because Dixon hasn't won a road course poll in six or seven years. So I'm not giving him 54 points. I'm giving him 53 for most laps led, uh, and and the race win. What's 106 minus 29? That is 77. Correct. That gives Dixon the championship. That's the scenario. So, yes, Palo is in fantastic shape, and he is going to win the championship, but that is the scenario. It does not take him finishing last in back-to-back races. It takes him... Uh, getting caught out by an untimely caution late, which they won't do. They'll be smart about that, and they'll get in as soon as the window opens. But something like that, finishing eighth and finishing in the back three. And his chances of finishing in the back three are much stronger at Portland than they are at Laguna Seca, in my opinion, because of the chicane. He's got to get through turn one. But he might even want to just let's just ride in the back 
because it does seem to be about a 15% chance that you're not getting through turn one. Shoot, he was on the front row and and didn't get through the chicane. So you're right. There's there's all kinds of issues at that uh at that spot. So yeah, it's um it's a really good position to be in. It's not insurmountable, as you've noted, but but look, he's um he's going to win the championship because I don't think Dixon can run the table at these two races. Um, he could run the table a lot of places, but this, which would be four in a row. Yeah. The odds are not good. <laughs> well, and these haven't been Scott's best tracks and Polo has won at both of these tracks. Polo has won at Portland two years ago and by 30 seconds last year at Laguna Seca. I, like I said, I don't think Dixon's won at either track. Uh, I'd have to double check, but I don't think so. And so, you know, it just stands to reason that that's not going to happen. I still think Power is going to win one of these two races. That his streak is going to continue as well. Uh, but there are many other contenders, and and you know, Herta has been great here at at these tracks. Certainly, Laguna Seca. He desperately wants a win. We've talked about Pato, and on and on and on. But that's kind of the scenario as far as the championship is concerned for this particular weekend. Uh, what else from the race that stands out? Renus VK had a, had a good day, uh, for them. And that's unfortunately kind of shows where it's been when 11th is a really good day. And Ryan Hunter Ray had his best day for them finishing in 14th. Connor did well. Connor did really well in the number 30 car was best in qualifying best in the race. We didn't know this until after the race that they had a boost penalty. Uh, at the start, and that's why he lost five or six positions at the start over boost. Basically, is protecting the engine, so he lost spots there, and apparently it was an issue later on. Got sorted a little bit later and still finished 16th, one spot ahead of Lungard. Linus Lundquist, who we now know is not going to continue with Meyer Shank racing, and, and Blumquist will finish up the season there for Pagano. Fastest lap of the race, yet again. Two of the three races, and does what he needs to do and even says, hey, my fault. Uh, the, you know, we could have been better. First oval race, well done for Linus Lundquist. The leader circle situation now, because Augustine Canapino got a penalty and had a chance at like 12th or 13th, maybe, finishes 22nd. Now, the 78 is on the outside looking in as far as the leader circle. Uh, and I know fans have asked, where can I find that? I don't know that fans can. You have to have a media pass or something like that. But it's entrant points. If you can find entrant points, which I think someone told me they're not available. I don't so think I, they're I don't think you can find them on the website. Yeah. Um, but the situation, let me pull up the points again. The point situation is twenty-third is the cutoff because we believe the top twenty-two are in the leader circle for sort of revenue sharing, like other sports do, for about a million dollars. But it's limited to three teams, unless you're grandfathered in, like Andretti, who had four at the time uh, when they decided three should be the limit. So the 11 Ganassi car is not eligible. The 60 and the 30, both with fill-in drivers, are now tied for 22nd and 23rd, which is essentially... 21st and 22nd we think those are the final two paying positions then the 78 hunkos hollinger is only one point back and the 29 andretti steinbrenner 
is three more points back. So four points below the cut line. So there are five cars, uh, four four cars, I'm sorry, going for the final two spots. And they're tight and they're really tight. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, the the 20 is 10 points ahead. Nobody's making up that kind of space, you know, because normally these cars are 16 through 20. Uh, seventh, which is why they're down there. So you're only scoring one or two or three more points than those around you. So that scenario is in play as uh, we move into the final two races of the season. All right, we'll get into some more stories. We'll get into your tweets, too, coming up in just a moment. At Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Plenty more to come as we get set for Portland and maybe a little bit more on St. Louis, too, coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. All right, let's continue the conversation now. Kurt had other commitments, so we'll just talk amongst ourselves. Uh, Eddie Garrison is in the Indianapolis studios. I'm Kevin Lee. Some tweets coming up in just a moment. Um, And then also some things that we talked about in the last couple of segments. And full disclosure, and you might have heard me saying something about, hey, I might know somebody uh, on track at IMS tomorrow or today. That's because I sometimes get confused when we go plausibly live and because Kurt wasn't available tonight. Well, we taped a couple of segments yesterday. So uh, Jackson Lee was on track today at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That was kind of cool. New experience. First time there on a sports car. And basically the second time he's been in a sports car, he did uh, a couple of half days in a Porsche GT3 Cup with a friend over the winter as part of his program with Cusick Motorsports. So thanks to Don Cusick for that at Thermal. And then, so what we're working on here, just a little update, and and I don't think I've really said anything on the show. And by the way, I'll get back to IndyCar stuff in a moment, but I am pleasantly surprised that people always say they like to hear how this part of the process goes and what the business of it is. And boy, have we learned the business. Um, haven't really talked about it for a little while because, hey, we got a lot of IndyCar things to talk about. But um, we ran out of budget for this season, and that's not a huge shock. We always knew that we only had enough sponsorship and partners uh, uh, to do a half a season. And that was the agreement that we had with Peter Dempsey and Turn 3 Motorsport. And then it was just simply a pay-as-you-go if you can after that. And we ultimately got one more event out of it, uh, but a little bit of crash damage kind of impacts things and uh, we're out. And I haven't talked to Peter. I'm hoping they have somebody to fill the seat this weekend because I want to see them do as financially well as they can. And they filled his seat for the Toronto weekend. And it's been a great season. We've loved that team. And the goal is to do it again next year uh, because I think that Jackson proved that he could be quick enough to be competitive. Not there to race win yet, but he's getting close. And in some ways, it's a better season than what he had last year in USF 2000. So that's the goal. Um, We did not have enough budget even to do one more weekend. But we still had a little bit of budget with our partners left to do something else. And you want to drive anything you can. So we've been encouraged to look into sports car racing. So I have been efforting finding something for him in the Indy 8-hour weekend that Kurt mentioned in October. That's an SRO weekend, several different series. Sports car racing is, frankly, a bit confusing, and I'm learning more about it. So he would be in a couple of the support races, 40-minute races. I have several options and have not finalized anything. And in that process of talking to all the different teams, 
One of them invited him to drive an even higher level car this weekend. So what he would be doing SRO a weekend is likely to be something in TC America. So that could be TCX, which is sort of like a GT4 car, but lesser, or a TC car or a TCA, which is a little bit lesser than what Robbie Wickens drives in TCR in Michelin Pilot Challenge. I told you sports car racing can be confusing. So we're looking into that. But in this process, as I looked into TCX, uh, fast track racing, Toby Grohovic, who is a pro driver, said, uh, we have a car in Michelin Pilot Challenge that can run in a GT4 America series. And we're going to be there testing for BMW track days. And if he wants to get in the car for a little bit, we can make out some space and see how he does. So that's what happened today. And the team went above and beyond. They basically promised an hour, and he got a couple hours in the track, and he was quick. So that was good. I think everybody was impressed, and that's you know, kind of what is a part of the development process of being a junior formula car driver. You're trying to get to IndyCar, but you realize the chances of that are not fantastic with the things that are required. So ultimately, you want to become a professional driver. And everyone has always told me, what you learn in formula cars will apply very quickly to sports cars, and it did. So he had never been in this car before, and lap three, he's up to speed. So that's good. So that opens up some potential options. I know he's going back out with the team tomorrow, not scheduled to drive, but who knows? So stand by, hopefully some news soon. Working on a couple of uh, just need smaller partners. Would love to just polish up the budget because I want to make sure there's enough left over to do the USF Pro Combine. And we're, we're trying to put the, the program together to run a, a full proper season with testing and crash damage and all of that. That's the dream for next year. Another thing I'll mention from what we talked about, you know, I thought about this after I said it when I made a crack about Joseph doesn't even do his own social media. So I'm not outing him. And the only reason I would say that publicly is because I've seen his fellow drivers out him that way on social media before guys like Rossi and McLaughlin. And the real truth of the matter is every professional driver, every athlete, if they're doing it right, has someone helping and or managing their social media, and that includes my driver. Uh, he still sends me something, and I advise all kids, all drivers to do this, especially the kids. Hey, send it, let somebody else look at it. Make sure there's not something lost in context. Make sure you spelled it correctly. Grammar is good, things like that. So we still abide by that, even though the driver is in college. And pro drivers do that because, hey, they have other things going on on race weekends. I think almost all, if not all, the drivers still do some of the posts themselves, but there are some others that other people are going to handle. So that's the joke there. I'm not outing him that other people in the industry don't already know. Uh, okay, let's get to some Twitter questions now. Fleetwood Marky Moose, or just comments. Dixon's Masterclass at Gateway got me thinking that IndyCar could show additional consumer relevance and empathy by making Portland 2024 the Range Anxiety 250, a race in which not enough gas is allotted. Make teams figure out how to get to the end just like we do. I love the idea, but that would just be another Scott Dixon win, would it not? If it's a definite challenging fuel save, then yeah, Dixon is going to have the upper hand. The Cincy Buckeye here has... What I think is an interesting question. He says, if I won the Powerball and decided I wanted IndyCar at Kentucky, what kind of check would I have to cut to make it happen? And who gets what from that check? Hmm. 
So to do a race, there are a couple of different ways you could do that. Let's look at the finances to start things. The way it generally works is the track is the promoter. They write a check to the sanctioning body, IndyCar in this case, for, it depends. You know, maybe you can get a deal for somewhere IndyCar really wants to be and thinks it's commercially relevant and maybe there's revenue sharing. You know, maybe it's six or 700,000, but the goal would be 1.5 million. You know, and I say that because that's in public records from Laguna Seca. That's what the county is paying there. Uh, we've seen that 1.4, 1.5 million, it kind of staggers up. And I don't know if anybody is paying higher than that. Maybe they are, but that's a number out there we know, and I've heard numbers for a long time. So in this case, you could write the check to IndyCar, and you could be the promoter. You, you could simply be essentially the title sponsor. That's sometimes how a track would look at it, is that, well, I have to decide if I have to pay IndyCar $1.5 million, can I make $1.5 million out of this? And that could be from sponsorships, uh, signage on the wall, title sponsor, the Belterra Casino 300, things like that. But you need ticket sales, obviously, concessions, uh, everything along with that. You need to get to at least 1.5 million and really more because we're talking operating expenses. You gotta hire people um, for, for the weekend. So what that number is, if the sanctioning fee is $2 million to make a profit, I don't know. But I got to believe it's a few hundred thousand more. So let's up it some more. That $1.5 probably isn't going to be enough. But maybe it gets the ball rolling because the track feels like they can get it done. I don't know what the status, other than uh, seeing that there are a lot of old parked cars in the parking lot. Could they do something? You'd have to figure out where to put those cars. But... As far as I know, the track is still operational, so I think something like that is still possible. Easiest at this case, I don't imagine there's a lot of infrastructure doing anything at Kentucky Speedway. It would probably need to be like the Iowa template, and even less so uh, because I don't think anything happens at Kentucky right now. Maybe I'm wrong, but IndyCar would probably need to rent the track and promote it themselves. So I think you're writing the check to IndyCar and something in that one and a half million range might get it started to be safe. You're probably talking a little bit more than that and because you need a promotional budget out of all this. And what IndyCar would use that sanctioning fee for, that's to help pay part of the leader circle. It's for their expenses and so on and so forth. So hopefully that gives you just a little bit of an idea. Tyler Wong asked, does Palo close out the championship at Portland or does Dixon extend it to Laguna Seca since Palo won there in 21 and Dixon runs super well at Portland? And I'll piggyback that with uh, Brian Frederick at 500 Indy 1911 writes this, if my math is correct and Palo gets a podium at Portland, he locks up the championship no matter what Dixon does. And I did your math too. I did it separately and I come up with the same math as you, Brian. Dixon... Uh, if Dixon scores max points, which would include his first road course pull since, what, 2016 or is it 2017? I'll look that up uh, before the weekend. Uh, that gets him to 545 points. Palo needs 35 to get to 600 to be up by 55 points. So if Dixon won both the last two races... They could have tiebreaker. They both have four wins. I haven't looked to, to see who has the most second and third place finishes. Maybe Palo already has that as well. But that's good for this argument. So, yes, third this weekend for Palo 
would guarantee it no matter what happened if Dixon scored max points in the final two races. That's one way to look at it. Another way I would look at it is, um, let's say Dixon finishes third. Really good weekend this weekend. So that's 35 points. That gets him to 526. No bonus points. Let's say he does not lead a lap, does not lead the most laps, does not win the poll. So then uh, Pelot needs to get to 581, which is scoring only 16 more points, which is 14th place. So Russ Thompson will double-check this for me, but my quick math here two minutes before this segment showed that if Dixon only finishes third this weekend, which seems very realistic, you know, odds are against somebody winning three in a row and then four in a row, so that seems reasonable. And then Pelot needs to only finish 14th. If he doesn't crash or break, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say he's going to finish better than 14th since he's done that eighth or better in every single race. So to go back to Tyler's question, yes, I think Alex Pelot is officially, well, he'll be crowned the champion at Laguna Seca, but we are going to recognize him. I think he clinches it. And then, by the way, uh, after that, you know, he only needs to be up by 50 uh, in that case and then would just need to show up. So a fifth this weekend for Pelot, even if Dixon wins with max points, means Pelot needs only fifth and then take the green flag at Laguna Seca. So those are our scenarios, I think, for this weekend. Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan, says, Wow, amazing drive by Scott Dixon. I have an NBC stat line for you. Dixon's name was said 132 times on Sunday's broadcast from the beginning till Chip met him at the uh, winner's ceremony. Crazy stat, my favorite, Dixon being Dixon. I hope you're kidding, Lynn. I hope you really didn't count all those up. But if you did, good for you, because people do do those things when it comes to mentions for sponsors. And, uh, and, and I actually know that people... Somebody always tracks that on NASCAR broadcasts when they look, I'm sure the teams do, so they can go back to their sponsors and say, hey, our driver was mentioned 78 times. I remember the math being shown back in the day that Danica Patrick was always top three, often tops, especially in her early days. Jim Williams, how does Scott Dixon get the crazy mileage and laps like he did yesterday? Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. Dixon being Dixon is the best. He's really, really good. Mike, at Efforting Moose, why wasn't there a yellow immediately thrown when Newgarden hit the wall in lap 210? Would it have mattered much in the results? It could have. It could have bunched things up, and, you know, it would have meant that... um, well, one, Dixon wouldn't have had to save, but yes, it would have been a restart and they'd have been right on him. Maybe somebody ducks in for fresh Firestones and goes from ninth up to the front because that does matter. It could have changed things. I don't know whether a yellow was needed. Um, credit to IndyCar that doesn't just say, hey, we're just going to you know, look for a yellow and find an excuse because there wasn't any debris and you know that's a that's a risk but they have people that are looking out for those kind of things so ultimately they did make the right call there was no danger in that situation and William Martin asked does the series need to take a serious look at arrow kits nobody but little Dave could pass no matter how much faster they were i.e. Joe New lapping RHR Scotty Mack starting 10th and not being able to pass so I hear you and that's a a common thought 
But then we see the stats of how many passes there were that, that Kurt mentioned. So um, I'd love to see a little bit more overtaking. It's difficult in the middle of the day and with marbles and so forth. And we talked earlier about some things that you could maybe consider. Maybe it's a night race. Maybe it's doing the tire a little bit differently. Maybe it's a TV timeout. And you sweep, and plus then you get a commercial in as well. All right, we'll see what we miss. Coming up next, Tron Trackside. Hi, this is David Malukas, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, final segment. Uh, here's what's coming up this weekend in the BitNile.com Grand Prix of Portland. Radio coverage on Sunday afternoon, right here, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. NBC has the television broadcast, 3 o'clock Eastern. We are on the air. That's noon local. Command at 323, green flag at 330. So a little bit of time to set up the stories coming up on Sunday afternoon. First practice for IndyCar is going to be at 6 o'clock Indianapolis time, Eastern time, on Friday. Uh, So that's 3 o'clock local time. There's a practice early on Saturday, 9 o'clock local, noon Eastern. Qualifying is at 3.30 Eastern. And the warm-up, the final practice in this case, is going to be at 8.15 Eastern time. On Saturday, 5.15 local. The Indy Next Race is on Sunday morning, 10.15 local. So that's 1.15 Eastern Time. All of this is on Peacock, as is the race, which is also on NBC. And all the practice sessions, too, are on IndyCar Radio, the IndyCar app, and so forth. Uh, All of the USF Pro Championships are there. Simon Sykes with a nice lead in USF 2000, trying to wrap up their championship. They have a triple header. And this is their last weekend. Same for Miles Rowe and USF Pro 2000. And then uh, if he gets that, will we see him in the Indy Next race at Laguna Seca? Maybe. Um, And then Indy Next also races two, and they have three more to come. A couple of other Twitter questions. Robbie Hartley asked this last week. Sorry we didn't get to it. Curious what happens with Road America if Milwaukee comes back online. I thought IndyCar didn't want that type of saturation in a single market. Robbie writes... So it just depends on who you ask. I don't know if that was an official statement. You get differing opinions on that. You know, sometimes when you're not going to a nearby market, something like that might be said. Well, we're, you know, we don't want to impact the other one. We want to make this as strong as we can. And then when an event does make sense, meaning going back to what we said earlier, the sanctioning fee is available and someone's willing to promote it, then it's, no, I think this is for the greater good and we'll create more fans. I tend to think that's kind of the case. Uh, I hope they're not back-to-back. My guess is we're seeing Milwaukee around this time. You know, maybe it's around St. Louis back-to-back short ovals um, and not right in June. So Road America is fine. It's not going anywhere. And there are a lot of race fans in this area. So I hope that this continues to grow and is a good option. Drew B says, what's the most beneficial way to watch IndyCar if I don't have a Nielsen ratings box at my household? OTA broadcast on NBC or stream on Peacock. He says, my guess is Peacock. Each stream is probably captured in the viewership metrics. I would guess so. Yeah, I would guess that's the case as well because I I still have to think they're measuring YouTube TV and the others, but I don't know exactly how that all works. But they can measure Peacock and know exactly how many people are watching. The same with NBCSports.com. Out of time. We'll see you next Tuesday night at 7, and we'll look forward to another weekend of IndyCar. Just two left, so let's enjoy it. We'll see you. Thanks to Eddie Garrison for Kurt. I'm Kevin.